Untitled Podcast is a part of the Kansas Google Education Group Network and also the Mace Kansas Network. You can find more information about episodes and guests at www.untitledpc.net. Welcome to Untitled Podcast. My name is Travis True. And I'm Carol Nelson. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Untitled Podcast. Today we have Belinda O'Dell with us. She has spent her 25 year professional career working with diverse student populations. She began her career at Anderson County's Junior Senior High School in Garnet, Kansas, where she spent three years. She then worked at Ottawa High School where she served as on various school and district team levels and was the department chair for the special education department. Belinda left Ottawa after eight years to become a transition specialist in DeSoto. She spent nine years in the DeSoto district helping students and families plan and prepare for life after high school. While in DeSoto, she developed the 18 to 21 special day school known as The Bridge. This program was developed to help students who needed additional time to learn daily living and employability skills and was a showcase program for the DeSoto schools. Melinda's family relocated to McPherson, Kansas, where she found herself back in the classroom teaching functional academics at McPherson High School. During her time in McPherson, she focused on inclusive educational opportunities for her students. In partnership with the business teacher, she created a student-run business known as Pup Prince that paired students in general education with students in special education to design, create, and manage every aspect of an apparel company. Linda also created opportunities for students to spend more time with their general education peers by using a mentoring system and placing your students in general education classes with general education teachers. Melinda's family once again relocated, this time to Topeka, where she is currently a special education teacher in the special day school for students with significant behavior and emotional challenges. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Um, Belinda, is there anything? Um, so, is there anything else you'd like to share about your journey through education that uh, maybe wasn't mentioned um, in that bio? You know, I love that you use the word journey because I don't feel like I'm done yet. Um, I feel like um, when I when I heard you say 25 years, even though I knew 25 years, I was like, oh my goodness, it hasn't really been 25 years. Um, you know, when you start out in education, you think like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. And this is who I'm going to be as an educator. And it just is such a journey and an, and an evolution of uh, professional goals and personal goals. And so, you know, I decided uh, last year, um, to make some changes. And so we just, we all of a sudden became foster parents. Um, and so we took on that while I decided I also wanted to go back and get my leadership degree. So, um, you know, I just feel like I'm continuing to evolve and kind of 
Um, you know, they always talk about your philosophy of education and I wish that I had what I wrote in college um, to compare with what it would be now um, because I think it might be just a little bit different. Um, so, you know, I just am still on this journey to figure out, um, you know, what I want to do and how I want to help kids and how I want to help um, adults who are working with um, diverse students. And and so, you know, I just um, take every day as it comes and um, working in the position that I'm in now. Um, it is while I've worked with students with significant um, behavioral and emotional challenges, having them all together in one building is a trip. And so, um, you know, I'm still just kind of working on some of those things. And I just know that every little step I take along this journey just makes me a better person and a better educator. And it's just exciting to kind of figure out what's next. So it's fun. I think one of the the greatest things with this podcast is to be able to hear the journey of, of each person and just see how one thing has led them to something else and built their their journey together. And so it's fun. And um, I feel fortunate to to have been part of your journey. In some ways, we, we work together in McPherson. And so it's fun reconnecting. And yeah. I got to see some of your experience um, with working with special diverse populations. Um, what advice do you have for um, inclusion, working with those diverse populations? Um, and, and maybe even go into a little bit how we adjust for that in you know the current structures that we're at with the remote and hybrid. Yeah. Um, I think if I have like one bit of advice for anybody who wanted to, to do inclusion or who wanted to practice inclusion um, would just be don't be scared. Um, I think that lots of times when we think about kids with more significant disabilities, you know, gen ed teachers often don't have a lot of experience with that, which is a shame. You know, we all take like that um, exceptional child class when we're going through our our um, degree programs, but it's not enough. Um, and I will tell you, even though I got a degree in special education, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, it is it is a whole other arena of education that's so important. And I think that um, it can be very intimidating. Um, and so that would be my first piece of advice is just don't be scared of it. They're still just kids. They still have the same hopes and dreams and wants and fears that all the other students have. Um, they just may not be able to express them. They may not be able to verbalize them in the same way that maybe their, their neurotypical peers do, but they still have them. And so that would be my first piece of advice is just don't, don't be afraid. Um, and then ask for help. I have to ask for help all the time still. Um, there are things that I'm like, I don't know how to deal with this behavior. Or I don't know how to process this information um, or how to adapt this lesson. Um, and so ask for help. Um, there are experts in your buildings who um, are great resources. And I think um, we don't always reach out and, and get that information from the people who are doing the job day in and day out. Um, and especially with remote and hybrid, um, I'm lucky in my current position where our students are here four days a week. Um, we just would not be successful um, with this population trying to get them to do remote learning. So we are here four days a week. Um, but when I was in McPherson and we initially had to go remote in the spring, last spring, um, it was a challenge to, um, 
get the students to understand how to get on their technology or to get the parents to understand how to get the kids on the technology, what the kids were supposed to do once they were on the technology. So that's just another great example. Um, gen ed students are having that same problem, right? And so our special education students, it's the same thing. Um, something that I found very useful during that period um, when I was in McPherson and we were remote was um, my peer mentors still engaged with my students. And so I would set up um, Zoom meetings and the peer mentors would be there. And then I would just sit back and the peers would talk to the students and they would have time to still just kind of work on those relationships and talk about what they're doing in their days and be able to connect with them. You know, um, there's not a lot of cell phone usage with that population. There's They don't have a lot of ways to connect. Everybody was quarantined. And so just providing that opportunity for them to say, this is what I did today, you know, or this is what I had for dinner or whatever it was. Um, and it was great for my gen ed peer mentors as well, because they really loved my students. And so um, just kind of thinking out of the box a little bit and providing ways to still have those connections with their peers was so important. And I think that that's a big piece of what's missing with this remote and hybrid is just having that that connection to people at school that kids have had all through school, you know? And so um, I just I just think that's really important to find ways for them to do that and to say, maybe today we don't do academics. Maybe today we just hang out. Maybe today we talk. Um, I just think that that continuing to develop and build those relationships is really important. So how do you do that? How do you build that rapport and develop those relationships? Um, both both in face-to-face -face and when you were on remote, because I'm sure that looked different. It did. And I am, um, you know, every time I go to a new job, it's that fear of like, oh, what if the kids don't like me? What if I have problems? You know, and um, I just always come back to being authentic and genuine and because kids can sniff that out so quickly. And so if you're putting on an act or a front, they absolutely know that. And so for me, that authenticity and being genuine and taking an interest, truly an interest and in, like in their life. Um, and sometimes that's really uncomfortable especially with kids who've had a, a traumatic past, you know, um, there's a fine line between wanting to connect with them and understand where they are and where they've been with them telling you, <laughs> go away. Uh, you know, like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, who do you think you are asking me those questions? And so, um, you know, when, when I started um, every job that I've had, I, I just put the academics aside for a few days and I just really try to get to know my kids. I play games with my kids. Um, I'll read books um, and we'll just talk about the book and talk about how that might relate to their life. And there's no assignment attached to it. It truly is just trying to meet them where they are, figure out where they are, um, be genuine, be authentic. And the same thing online. I spent lots of time just reading books to my kids um, or having a, a video play. And then we would stop and laugh about something funny um, or, you know, just take a moment to talk about it. And I think that when you do that and there's an assignment attached to it, it takes away like the validity of it. It takes away the, the, it's a missed opportunity for you to just truly do something that is fun with your students or to truly do something 
that helps you connect. And I am a person who shares a lot about my life um, and kind of where I've been and and the things that I've done and in a hopes in hopes of connecting with the kids. And um, sometimes that's very successful. And sometimes I have to listen to them talk about cars for an hour. You just do, you know, you just kind of, I know more about cars now than I ever thought I would. Um, but you just kind of have to do that. Um, and so I put myself second and put them first and, and truly just be authentic and genuine and really take an interest in what they have to say, whether that's online or in person. And what's kind of cool, if you think about it, really, is that you can learn from them all the things that you're learning about cars, you know, and just that whole relationship. So that's really cool. And even when I was working with kids who had more significant um, learning needs and intellectual disabilities, I always say that what they learn from me is so little in comparison to what I learned from them, uh, just about life and about how they see life and how the things that they want. Um, it's just such a blessing for me to be able to have this job and, and to have met and, and been a part of the kids' lives that I have. I just feel like it's, it's truly, truly a blessing for sure. I love that. What is a tip that you would give teachers um, when working with diverse populations? Um, there's probably a lot of tips um, because it's not always um, a preferred task. It's not always something that people are comfortable with. Um, but I think the most common thing that I've found is that, especially for students who may not look like their peers, who may have um, you know, something obvious that separates them from their peers, that does not mean that they are not able And I think that that is something that, um, you know, when you have a a person with a learning disability, but they look exactly like their peers, you assume that they can do what their peers can do. But for some reason, when we don't look the same, when we're in a wheelchair, when we use crutches, when we have Down syndrome, we assume that means that they can't do. And so that is the biggest thing that I, I feel like I preach over and over and over again is just presume competence. Let them tell you what they can do and go from there. Don't just assume, oh, they can't be in this class because they can't read or they can't be in this class because they can't use the computer. Um, let's, let's figure out what they can do and start from there. Um, and yeah, you're going to have to modify it and you're going to have to adapt it and you're going to have to, you know, level it. But I think people would be amazed if they would just kind of step back and let the students show them what they can do and not put some sort of stereotype or some sort of gating criteria on them that they are not able to do this. And so I don't know what to do with them. Um, let's just presume that they can do it until they tell us or show us that they can't. And I think that then that's where we really start to see student growth because they see that you believe in them and they see that you're going to give them a chance and then they want to work for you. They want someone to believe in them. We all do. Like we all have people that we, you know, believe in us. And so that's no different. Um, And if they feel different, they're going to act different. And that's just, that's just the truth of it. So just presume that they are competent until they show you or tell you that they're not.
sorry. This last question, um, we end we end our conversations with the same question because it's everybody's going through the same thing with COVID. We all went on remote at the same time. We all came back either remote or high, you know, a hybrid. And we're, you know, we're not all kind of, we're all kind of in the same boat. So what are some, what is something or some things that you're going to take away as a positive of this whole experience of COVID? Um, I think there's, it's so easy to get caught up in the negative of this. And so I love that you guys are asking about the positives because I do think that there are a lot of positives. And I know I, I, I referenced earlier that we don't often um, always look for the people in our building who are experts. And I think that that is something that COVID has really helped us to do is to reach out to each other um, and to say, what are you doing? How are we going to do this? You know, what's Jamboard or what's Seesaw? Like, how, how do I, how can I use this in my classroom? You're using it for vocabulary. How can I use it for math? Um, and so I think that that is a positive thing that's happened is that we have had to really rely on the people that we work with to brainstorm and to problem solve um, and, and to really think outside the box with each other. Um, so that's definitely um, something that I have found for myself. Um, I am constantly looking for something. What's going to be the thing? You know, what's going to be, how can you help me engage with these students? You know, I do have a couple students who are on remote. And so trying to teach the kids that I have in class and provide meaningful instruction for the kids who are remote, um, reaching out to your technology experts like you guys and saying, help me, what, you know, tell me, teach me how to use this, or how can I put this on Google Classroom or whatever it is. I think it has made um, asking for help not have such a stigma because we've all needed help through this. And I think the other thing is, is that we're checking on each other more. Um, you know, I'm reaching out to my friends who are teachers and saying, how are you? Are you doing okay? You know, um, and so I think we're just sensitive to what everybody's going through. And it's not so much just everybody shutting their door and going through the motion. We need each other right now. And and for me, I think that that's huge um, that we are able to ask for help and to check on each other and and to just remember that we're all human and we're all just kind of going through the same stuff. And um, I think that's that's really important to to help each other and not pretend that we're not all struggling. <laughs> because we are. <laughs> We're tired, you know, we are tired. So, um, yeah, so I think that's, that's really important. And, and, you know, I assume that you guys have maybe seen a little bit of that too, like teachers really needing more assistance with that technology piece. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Carol will agree. You, you In April, well, you know, when we shut down and came back really in April, you, you could, you really saw the classrooms that didn't use the technology before that were all of a sudden forced to use Chromebooks, iPads and Seesaw and Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. And that's where our focus was, you know, in the spring was getting, trying to get people that hadn't used it caught up and then trying to get with everybody else in the summer and before, you know, in August and the fall. So. Right. Yeah, I um, I decided before school started this year that I was just going to do Google Classroom 
um, on a daily basis because who knew what we were going to end up doing. And um, there, there's, you know, other people who didn't make that decision. And now that we do have some kids on remote, they're like, oh my gosh, how do I go back and like recreate this stuff? And so I'm very thankful that I made that choice um, because I think it just would have created a ton more work for me. Um, but that's something that, you know, I think Google Classroom is a great tool. I think Seesaw is a great tool. And so I think those are things that people can carry on using even when we're out of this mess um, and we're in the classroom and, um, you know, it just increases everybody's technology skills and it, it really um, gives the opportunity for kids to learn, learn in different modalities. Um, yeah, I just think it's, that is definitely a positive that's happened for me personally too. So, yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show and sharing and giving all this great advice about working with uh, special ed students and just kind of um, the bigger and, and not just for special ed students, but for all students, building those relationships matters. And that's important. Yeah, it definitely uh, you, is. You know, and so people can take your advice and, and, you know, use that in their classroom with, with their regular ed students as well. Sure. And, you know, um, as I sit here thinking about the things that I just said, you know, I'm such a proponent of inclusion and I'm such, I, I really feel that special education students are going to learn better from their peers than from teachers. All students learn better from their peers, I think, than from their teachers. And, you know, um, especially in McPherson, I felt like I really made some inroads to getting kids out in the general classroom and um, and having that peer interaction. But now I'm working in a self-contained behavior school, right? And so the only kids here are kids who really, I mean, like we have our own principal, we have our own social workers, like we're a building. And I have really struggled this year kind of reconciling that in my brain. Um, you know, how can I be such a proponent of inclusion and work in a program that is the opposite? Um, and so if anybody out there listening has a way to help me with that, <laughs> please let me know <laughs> um, because it's, it's a struggle for me. Um, I, I just feel like kids, you know, all kids deserve to be treated like all other kids. And so here I am, you know, in, in this situation and I love it here and it's a great opportunity for me. And I've learned so much that I will take with me long after this job. Um, but I do think it's something that we all have to consider is how can we truly include every student, no matter the situation they're in, whether it's something traumatic that has happened to them or whether it is a long-term mental health illness, um, how can we do that? And it's something I'm gonna continue, continue to, to try and figure out for myself as well. Um, but yeah, if anybody out there has a, a suggestion for how to make me feel better. <laughs> I'm open. Creative can, ideas where, out there. Where can they connect with you? Are you on Twitter? I am, it's at Bell Odell um, on Twitter. And so they can for sure connect with me there. Um, and I, I love a good, a good person to follow. So I love advice. I always, I try to do the Kansas, the Kansas educate ed chat or whatever on Monday nights. And so, um, I learned so much from those two. And so, um, I'm always looking for some good professional development, even if it's informal. So mm -hmm. I think that's, we all need to just keep learning and 
and uh, from each other. So. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you very much uh, yeah, for sharing, nice. the story, sharing your passion for your mm-hmm. students. Um, you're doing great things out there at uh, Washburn Rural, and, and I parents, the parents and your students really appreciate that, I'm sure. So thanks thank for coming. Thank you for coming on. And for everybody else, remember um, on the website, um, untitledpc.net, on the uh, for this episode, mm-hmm. we'll list some resources and we'll have uh, Belinda's Twitter handle on there so you could, you know, if, if you've got some advice for her, reach out to her and, and have that conversation with her. So uh, she's provided that. some great resources as well so be sure to check those out yeah we got some great some great resources from her and we'll post those um in the show notes on the episode page so thank you belinda and thank thank everybody for listening we'll see you next time